good stop there, John. I think we're good. <laughs> we had a moment right before we started in case you saw it on the board. Um, good evening. I'd like to join in and welcome everyone tonight. I hope the things discussed will be beneficial to everyone. Uh, I was listening to the radio uh, probably a few months ago, and I think I was just half listening because I can't for the life of me remember what the guys were talking about. But I think it was something to do with a war. Uh, could be World War One. no earlier than the 1800s, I'm sure. But I remember someone saying, uh, some say that was the most important event in history. And I thought, it caught my attention. And I thought, wow, how could you say that about anything, really? Um, I, th I, I just thought it was the silliest thing I'd ever heard anybody say, especially something that happened in the 1800s or 1900s, let alone uh, being the most important event in history. Um, so at first I thought, well, how could someone declare that? And then as I got to thinking about it, probably thought about the rest of the drive to work, um, I started thinking about, well, what is the most important event in the history of the world? And uh, uh, I think I came up with the answer. I, 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 believe, uh, I believe the most important event in the history of the world is undoubtedly the resurrection. Um, I, I started thinking about well, what, what could you compare it to? Um, and uh, so I started thinking about uh, the different things, the, the death of Jesus and, and take nothing away from his death. But without the resurrection, it was for nothing. Um, if you think about uh, the, the next thing I come up with, well, what about the creation? Because without the creation, nothing else could happen. And if you believe in evolution, I would say that the creation or the beginning, the Big Bang, whatever it is you believe in, would be the most important event in the history of the world. But because of what we believe, what we've been taught by Jesus, uh, the creation, had it not been for his resurrection, would have been the saddest thing ever. Not a single soul created would be saved without that resurrection. And it would be better off for the world had the creation never happened. Now, that's, that will be the fate of some, but... Thanks to the resurrection, we have uh, the chance to be saved and not have that fate. Uh, in thinking about the resurrection, what it means uh, tonight, I would like to consider just a few thoughts. Uh, before we consider the resurrection, I want to I think about the burial first. When I think about the burial of Jesus, uh, something comes to my mind every once in a while. I think about the burial of Moses. Uh, and, and the differences in the burial of Moses and the burial of Jesus. And I think there's a real interesting difference uh, that uh, is, 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 well, something to think about. Deuteronomy chapter 34, 5 through 7, at the, the account of Moses' death, it says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, meaning God, buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not, were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. Um, very interesting account. This is the only record of anyone uh, in the Bible being buried by God. There is the account of, of Enoch being taken into heaven and not seeing death. But Moses died, was buried by God, and no one knows where he was buried. Not in that day, not ever. No one ever has known. And I think that's 
Very interesting. Something really to think about. Moses, of course, was a great man. Lived 120 years. And when he died, it says here, his eyes were not dim. And he still had his natural uh, vigor. And we know that just before he died, he climbed a mountain. And he looked down onto the land of Canaan. Amazing. 120 years old. I would hate to climb a mountain. I, I, I wouldn't want to climb a mountain in the last 20 years. Um, but uh, at 120, I definitely can't imagine it. Uh, but it's definitely something, something to think about. Moses was definitely a great man. So anything about the burial of Jesus? Uh, well, I jumped ahead too far. Let me jump back. So why? Why was Moses buried by God and no one knows? We're not really told. We can guess. We can think about it. And if you think about how humans are um, we, and how people were at that time, they were always looking for an idol. They wanted something to worship. And the thought is if, if the burial place of Moses were known, it would be somewhere that people would travel, be somewhere people would worship. They would put the burial place of Moses above the law of Moses, above God eventually. And, and there's no doubt that would happen because that's what's happened since with several other things of much less significance than Moses. Um, but no doubt that is what would happen. So Moses was a great man, but compared to Jesus, um, Jesus definitely greater. So you would think if it's important to hide the burial place of Moses, wouldn't it be more important to hide the burial place of Jesus. Well, let's think about it. Matthew 27, 57 through 60. After Jesus had died on the cross, uh, it says, When evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then, then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. So here we have the account of Jesus' burial. Much different than the burial of Moses. At this point, we know at least three people know where Jesus was buried. And then we find out in Luke, a fourth also knew. So that's four uh, already Now, why did Pilate give Joseph Jesus' body? That's not what would happen. Jesus was hung on a cross. He should have been buried in a, not, even with the, not even in the tombs of his fathers. He should have been buried outside the city in a land separate from all of it. But he was not. Um, uh, the short answer we know is, was that it was to fulfill prophecy. He was, he was hung with thieves or, or with the wicked, and then he was buried with the rich. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man who was part of the Sanhedrin. He had a lot of power, and for whatever reason, Pilate handed the body over to Joseph, and he took it, and he buried it in his tomb. Not only that, they also brought spices and everything to prepare the body, and we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. So, so far, at least four people knew where Jesus was buried. Isaiah 53, 9, what I just quoted just a moment ago. <clears throat> now, uh, Matthew chapter 27, 62 through 66, we see not only did Joseph and, and the, the other three know, but also, so the friends of Jesus, but also his enemies. It says, on the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. 
Then Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know, as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Okay, so we had four people that knew right off the bat. Uh, here we see um, these, uh, these chief priests and Pharisees coming. However many they were, they came to him and, and said, Give us a guard. So you had the chief priests and Pharisees, a guard, the other four, uh, and I'm sure the Romans kept record of where their guard went. Um, so here, even more people now at this point know where Jesus has been buried. And like I mentioned before, it, it says here, I thought it was interesting. Um, of course, they, they sealed it as part of what they would do. Uh, but the, the complaint was his, his people are going to go and they're going to steal the body. And once the body is stolen, once the people think he actually did rise from the dead, the last deception will be worse than the first while he was here with us. Um, and then, of course, we know that the, the, the people had no intention of stealing the body even. Um, we know that uh, they took, they took uh, I think it was 100 pounds of spices uh, and wrapped his body in linen to prepare it after his death. Um, but even more uh, people who know. So considering that, consider all the people who knew, we see that God was not trying to hide the body of Jesus, the tomb of Jesus. Uh, and I think that was very much on purpose. I think God wanted everybody to know where Jesus' body was buried for one reason. Why is that? In three days, that place was going to be empty. And he didn't want any question. If Jesus would have been thrown out in the garbage heap with the rest of the criminals, you know, how could you keep track of that? And if the body disappeared, well, who knows where it went, you know? Maybe animals got it. Maybe, maybe his friends did steal it. Maybe anybody stole it. Um, you know, they, they, they uh, cast lots for his garments. Imagine what his body, you know, that would be quite a souvenir as well. Um, the, uh, uh, God wanted everybody to know where the body was. It was placed in, in somewhere that was definitely uh, uh, unique, uh, that you, 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 couldn't, you couldn't mistake it. They wrote a large stone in front of it. They put a seal on it and set a guard. Uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was God's doing what God has always done. He, he just he makes it uh, his point known so that there can be no doubt that he is in control and, and what he said has come to pass. So now that we see that he was buried, and we know how that story ends, on the third day he did rise. We know Mary went to the, went to the tomb. She found it empty. She ran and told Simon Peter and John. They ran back. They saw it was empty. Uh, so the tomb was empty, and that started. And then for the next 40 days, Jesus appeared, and then that started the, what the resurrection meant to the world. Um, and, and we see, and that's what I want to talk about now. I want to talk about why the resurrection is important, why it's important to us, why it was important to them. Uh, just, just cover everyone. First of all, it's the foundation of Christianity. 1 Corinthians 15 and 14 says, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Basically saying we are wasting our time. We have no need to be here. We have no need to, to read our Bible, uh, to do anything in order to try to please our Lord because he, is, he can do nothing for us uh, because the resurrection uh, did not happen. The resurrection shows that Jesus is the Son of God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4 says, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection assures our forgiveness of sins. 
1 Corinthians 15, 16, and 17, For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Number three, the resurrection tells the world that the kingdom of God is ruled by a living sovereign. Revelation 1, 17 and 18, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. This is John's revelation. Uh, he said that he saw the Son of Man. And these are the words he said to him. Muhammad is dead. Uh, Buddha is dead. Pick any religious leader that you've ever heard of, and they're dead. Uh, some you can even still find that where they were buried. And some we don't know. Um, but we serve a God. We, we are followers of a religion with a... Savior with a Lord that is alive, just like this verse indicates. The resurrection is important because it proves that physical death is not the termination of human existence. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 23. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one is his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Jesus claimed he was the, or they claimed he was the firstfruits. He was the first raised from the dead, and because he was, we know that we also can be. This, the end of this life is not the end. Um, there is more, and the best is, is what is yet to come, and that's where we have our faith. And the last thing, pre it previewed his resurrection, previewed the ultimate victory of Christianity over all its enemies. Revelations five and and also twelve uh, talks about the Lamb that was slain, the Lamb that was the Lion who overcame, and because he overcame, we can overcome. He was over. He overcome to open the seals, um, and eventually his church, his kingdom, would overcome all enemies. And be set up forever and ever. Just like prophesied all the way back in the book of Daniel and other prophets. And as was shown to John in the book of Revelation. That is exactly what happened. On these five things, ever since Jesus' resurrection, those who, were, who became Christians, this is where we have all hung our faith. Um, this is what motivates us. This is, this is where we put our faith and our hope. Uh, I know I've done a lesson before on the uh, day of Pentecost and how the apostles could stand up. Uh, Peter, Acts 2.38, when he stands up and he tells them, uh, this Christ who you crucified, um, he's, he's telling them how they can repent, what they have to do, what can they do. They ask, what, they, what can we do? We, they felt lost, and he tells them to repent or be baptized. And his message was, you killed the Son of God, and it scared them to death. Um, and what gave Peter, what gave him the uh, faith to, to do that? And I think it was the resurrection. Uh, his life was in danger. He knew that. But he knew that if he died, he could be brought back because Jesus was brought back. Um, and then there are many others. You think of all the martyrs who died. Uh, people don't die for a myth. People don't die for a hoax. People die because they believed in the resurrection. And there are many Many examples to think about when we think about this. The resurrection is the most important event in human history. Um, 
if you ask anybody, if you ask people it's outside the church especially, because you got to, I, I think when I was, when I heard it on the radio, of course, I was thinking about secular. How could you, secular events, how could you narrow it down? It would, it would depend on where the person was from, uh, what they believed, uh, what, their, what, what they loved, what was important to them as to what the most important event in history. Of course, to us and what's important to us, I know what the answer is, but um, our answer is something that is important from the beginning of time until now and until the end of time. It is the most important thing for Adam, uh, for Moses, Abraham, all the way through all the prophets, King David, um, the New Testament apostles, the first century Christians. Uh, you go all the way through world history, uh, the, the, the empires that have come and gone to the empires that exist today. Uh, it is the single most important event in the history of the world. And I, I think there is no way you can dispute, you can dispute that. In thinking about things... Um, and think about ways that the resurrection of Jesus bolstered confidence and produced faith uh, that has gone on forever and ever. I, I uh, thought about the destruction of Jerusalem. I was listening to, I was listening to a history channel, and uh, not not the history channel, but a a, a history as spoken by a preacher, uh, and and he was he was going through history as related by Josephus, which outside the New Testament is the most important uh, source of the early church or, or Jewish culture rather uh, that we have would be would be Josephus, um, and he was going through the the things we have records of from Josephus uh, from from. Uh, Tacitus, which is a Roman historian, and other historians' writings, we have the records the Romans kept. And uh, he, he got to a certain point, and, and I started thinking about how the resurrection was important. And I'd, I'd kind of like to go through that um, and with this. And, and it happened during the destruction of Jerusalem, an event. And I, I, let's go through that just a little bit, and we'll get to that point, and, and we'll talk about that. But the destruction of Jerusalem happened around 70 A.D. This is about 40 years after Jesus' death on the cross. Um, we know that he talked about, he prophesied that that was going to happen. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a little bit here as well. Uh, but let's look at some events that happened during that time. Nero uh, was the Caesar at that time. Uh, he, he reigned from 54 to 68 A.D. He was no friend of Christians. He, was, uh, he caused them... Very, very much problem, and uh, the uh, the church was under under a hard time uh, with with Nero in charge, and uh, we'll see a little bit of that as it as it goes on. We won't we won't get too much into the weeds on this. I kind of want to just get to the point. Um, there are, there are places you can find the complete history and get a whole lot of information, a whole lot more than I could pack in to my allotted time tonight. But at, at around this time, 66 through 70 A.D., uh, there is what's referred to as the Jewish Wars, and that's referred to by Josephus in his writings. Uh, during these wars, or during this time, there was rising uh, tension and conflict uh, coming on for about 20 years. It just kept building and building uh, with the things that were going on with the Jewish people. Israel was divided between liberals and conservatives, the liberal people, uh, they were they they were fine with Roman rule. Uh, they they just accepted that's the way it was. We just go along. They're not any problem to us. We just go on. We'll get along and go along. 
The conservative group, however, they did not want the Romans to be their rulers. They wanted to get rid of them and go back to their Jewish tradition. And because of this, there was division between the two groups. There were corrupt procurators in, uh, that also increased the division. These were people set up to govern over the Jewish people by the Roman government. Uh, one in particular was named Gaius Florus. Uh, he was from 64 to 66 A.D., and he's the one, he's the procurator that actually pushed Israel to the edge. He stole money from the temple treasury. This was something not even, not just reported by the Jews, uh, but also Tacitus, who was a Roman historian, also talked about how uh, money was stolen from the temple treasury by this man. He killed 3,600 peaceful citizens in, his, in five months of reign in 66 A.D., uh, his actions, this and, and the other things, inspired popularity of Jewish zealots. We've talked about Simon the Zealot and what a zealot means. These are the, these are the true patriots, uh, the ones who, would, uh, who were ready to fight at all times. They, they, were, they, wanted, they were fine with causing trouble uh, in order to get their message across and in order to make things happen the way they wanted them to happen. And because of this man's actions, uh, the Jewish zealots were inspired to move on and they gained popularity. After uh, Gaius Florus and his, what he had done uh, in 66 AD, this, this caused the Jewish revolt in the fall of 66. They rose up unexpectedly, no one saw it coming, and they drove the Roman presence out of Jerusalem. Which, when I heard that, that's amazing, you know. How could they possibly do that? But I think it was so unexpected, uh, and, and I guess I assume coordinated and, and very, very well done to be able to do it, to the point um, to uh, Agrippa and Bernice, uh, the ones who were set up over them, they even had to flee. There was no room for them. They had to live out the rest of their days in Rome. They weren't even allowed there anymore. And then uh, after that, uh, Rome sent Cestius Gallus uh, to try to do something about this revolt and to end it. So he went by Roman uh, authority and he laid siege to Jerusalem, surrounded the city, and, and there they were uh, just, just kind of having to wait out for their, their destruction was, was uh, I would say, felt like it's probably inevitable at that time. Uh, there was definitely going to be big problems. A strange thing happened, though. He seized the city, and then after about six days, for some unknown reason, still unknown, nobody knows, he left. Just took the, had the wall, had it surrounded for some reason, took the army and everyone, and they left and went away. This inspired the zealots. The zealots, when they saw him leaving, those zealots we talked about before that were ready to cause some action, they took this as a sign from God, that God was on their side and God was, by his rule, was going to drive these Romans away. And so what they did, they left, they took off after them, uh, they overtook them, and they defeated them at a place called Beth Haran. Uh, unbelievably so, they, they overtook them and beat them. They were proud of their victory. They took their victory as another sign that God was on their side and, and the Romans were on their way out and they were the ones that were going to make it happen. After this happened, the moderates that were left that wanted to just kind of live and let live and let the Romans be over everything, they were discredited. No one believed in them anymore. Uh, they, they saw what happened and uh, 
the radicals that lived in the city or that live there now had, had taken over. They were ready to get rid of Rome. But there was a third group, a very small group, and that was the Christians. And they fled. They left the city. Why? The Romans left. They drove them away. And I think there's one reason. I think they, they had good memories. If you're, and, and, and I think they thought back to words that they heard, maybe from Jesus himself, maybe from someone who was there that heard Jesus talk. You think about the, uh, the Olivet speech that Jesus gave. When they asked him, what are the signs of these things come? And talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, or I'm sorry, the destruction of the temple and the end of time. They asked him two questions. He answered three. He talked about the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, and the end of time. I wonder if some of them thought back to what Jesus had said and something that he said that was very peculiar at the time. In Matthew 24 and Luke 21, Jesus predicted the destruction of Jerusalem. I want to look at Luke's account. Luke 21, verses 20 through 21. Jesus told them, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. Now, the, the real peculiar thing about this is Jesus says, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies... Get out. Well, how can you get out if it's surrounded by armies? There's no way. Can you imagine? Surrounded by army and even, you know, peeking out any? And don't tell them what's going to hit you in the head if you even just peek out. But there was a chance. The, arm, the, the walls were surrounded, and after six days, for some unknown reason, they left. And the Christians said, we're getting out of here. And they left. And I think they thought about what Jesus said, and they also thought, you know, he made that prediction. But he also made another prediction. He said, I'm going to be crucified, or I'm going to be killed, and in three days, I'm going to raise again. And you know what? That happened. And so we've been surrounded by the, by the, the walls have been surrounded by the, by the armies. That may happen too. Jerusalem may be destroyed. We better get out of here. And they did. Some went north, south, east, and west. I think most went south. But regardless, they, they got out. Um, as they were leaving, other Jews... Uh, well, let's move on. Uh, as they were leaving, uh, after, and after all the things that happened, Vespasian was sent. Nero sent Vespasian. He was tired of it. He wanted them all wiped out. He wiped out all the Jews. And so Vespasian started marching back to Jerusalem. And those that had... Those zealots and whoever else that were outside the city not the christians but those who were outside the city they started running back to jerusalem for safe for safety they want to get back to the, the safe walls of the city and eventually that's what they did they got they got back in the city uh, vespasian came down and then we see uh, that uh, vespasian was actually called away and he left jerusalem uh, to his son titus and titus went down and he circled the city, he sieged it, and through a, a series of un, unfortunate uh, decisions, uh, the siege did not last very long. They, they, from what I hear, they could have lasted years, but the zealots were so anxious to get it over with and, and to get rid of the Romans, they burned all their food. 
um, to, to just hurry it along. Let's, let's, let's do it. Let's get over with God's on our side. Let's, let's, let's get this done. And then we see that the seeds started in April, and then they, it fell in August, four or five months. They could have lasted years, and they fell in four or five months until the point where when Titus entered uh, with, his, with his army, it was, well, you've heard many times how, how disgusting it was, the things they saw uh, to the civilized Roman, <laughs> uh, civilized compared to some of the others that were fighting for him. Uh, it, was, it was too much to bear. Um, the army that he had to scrounge together, they were looting uh, and, and taking things just as much as they could. Uh, but it was it was a terrible sight, <clears throat> just an awful thing. But Jesus' prediction had come true. Uh, that was exactly what happened. The Christians who left, no doubt, e- even after hearing the news, I'm sure many of them were just in disbelief uh, at how quickly it happened after they fled. Uh, a very amazing thing. But again, they they heard Jesus' prediction, uh, or they they heard about. Uh, or they knew about the resurrection, they knew he died on the cross, and at that point their hopes and their dreams of the kingdom of, of, of Jerusalem, or of the Jews being reestablished, it was dashed, and then he was resurrected. And all of a sudden they got their faith back, their confidence back, to the point to when this awful thing happened here, um, the, the, I, I would say the confidence that, that, that carried over from the resurrection uh, is also what helped them uh, to do what needed to be done at this time as well. <clears throat> so what does that mean for us? Um, what can we learn from that? Oh, I'm sorry. Real quickly. Uh, I, and <laughs> uh, No doubt the, this destruction is what inspired Jesus to say what he said in the reading we had earlier in Luke 23, 26-28. Uh, as he was being led away, this is the, the scene where Simon was given his cross to bear the cross because uh, it was so heavy. And in verse 27 says, A great multitude of people followed him, and the women who also mourned and lamented him. Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. He knew exactly what was coming, and that is exactly what happened. Uh, and I, I won't, I'm sure these words came back. Uh, to them as well and no no telling what went through their minds uh, some who had heard his message and had not believed it there it had to be a lot of a lot of things going on so what does this mean for us today so Jesus predicted his own death and that he would raise again Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem and both those things happened sure enough the temple was destroyed, and not stone, one stone was left on top of another. But then there was that third prediction he also made there in Matthew and Luke. He predicted the last day. And he says in Matthew 24, 36 through 44, he says, But of that day, talking about that last day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, 
What if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come? He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the, month, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So, at this point, three predictions, he's two for three, and I'd say there's a pretty good chance, I believe, that he's going to be three for three one of these days. And that's where it comes in for us. Do you believe in the resurrection? Um, if you are a Christian, I sure hope you do. I hope you answer that in yes. Um, because of that faith in the resurrection, a man was raised from the dead. Uh, you know, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That was amazing all in itself. But to be raised from the dead without another man doing it, we know God was, was the power behind that. Um, but the amazement of a man coming back from the dead on, on his own that way, um, is that enough to help you believe this? And like those people who were staring at the destruction of Jerusalem, we're staring at the destruction of the earth. It may come in our lifetime. It may not. It may come many years from now. But we have to believe it's coming. We're not going to have a sign like armies surrounding, uh, surrounding the walls like they had back at that time because we're told we have no idea the time or the hour or the day when it will happen. It will be a normal day. We'll just be going along. Um, and and I, I dare say no one will be even thinking about it when it's going to happen. But it will happen, and I hope you believe it will. I hope you will make preparation. Uh, the people at that time were told to make preparation, and they must have because so many of them got out. And I, I hope that we all make preparation, and when the destruction comes, when we're faced uh, with the Son of Man on His return, that we also uh, are prepared and, and have the faith to go with Him into our final kingdom. <clears throat> If you have, if you're not a child of God, if you've never put on uh, put on Christ, if you've never been baptized, we encourage you to think about that. Uh, consider the things I've talked about tonight, and uh, and study on them. Uh, think about if the resurrection is the most important thing, is the most important event in history. Then what have you done uh, to make it worthwhile? Uh, you know, it, it's going to benefit a lot of people will you be left out that's what you have to consider it was done we know uh, so that everyone uh, could be saved but not all will will you be one who will not be saved